0: Back to What's Your Bliss, part of the Anything But Credible Network. My name is Thomas Ragland, and I'm so delighted to be coming back to you another week. My guest this week is a self-described uh, tireless communicator, Roseanne Galvin. Roseanne, welcome and What's Your
1: Bliss? Thank you, Thomas. I'm excited to be here. My bliss is well. It's I think part of it is normal and part of it is abnormal. So <laughs> the normal part <laughs> is I love to talk to people, and I I just I, you know, I like to meet new people. I like to talk to different people. We don't have to necessarily agree, but I absolutely love talking with people. Now, the part where it gets a little weird is it's also a numbers game. The more people I'm talking to, the better, the bigger the crowd (laughs) I'm in. I mean, I love talking one-on-one, but I really, my bliss is talking to a group of people the bigger, the better.
0: (laughs) Well, you and I briefly shared uh, some back and forth regarding that. And that's a, that's a mutual bliss for me. I love giving presentations and and speaking, but I'm, I'm curious where, where do you think that started for you? Where, how did you figure that out? And, and was there a moment that it, it just kind of clicked for you?
1: Well, you know, we have to go way, way, way back in the, the way back, uh, time machine. And that is, you know, i I grew up with the fourth of five kids. And, uh, as my parents said, you know, at one point I started talking and I have yet to stop talking, <laughs> uh, I'm kind of always up for airtime. Um, uh, so I think the early, you know, early years, I remember being in school and in second grade, my teacher, um, said to me, Mrs. Smalden said, um, you know, Roseanne, you keep talking, do you want to get up here and teach the class? And I said, I'd love to, <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> like, of course. Yeah. Uh, so, and you know, I it would do okay in school, but the comment was always like, you know, talks incessantly and all the teachers don't like that. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, <laughs> so uh, I figured, okay, you know, whatever, I'll deal with it. My parents were you know they had five kids, so it was like eh, I wasn't getting too much trouble, so they right. were not really sweating this stuff uh, with me talking too much at school. And then it, I went, I actually probably early on, um, to my parents had five kids and they're immigrants, right? So um, what do you do? You know they're they're one generation off of the farm, so they have a bunch of kids, so they put them to work in the family business. So their family business, they're in, were still are uh, in real estate, and they had um, they managed property, so early on we would all be put to work and you know this is the, this probably could get my parents in trouble nowadays but back in the day I, my job as one of the younger ones was to pick up cigarette butts <laughs> i'm dating myself right people used to smoke and they would throw cigarette butts so The deal was if I filled a can, a coffee can of cigarette butts by hand, mind you, without gloves. So just process that, right? (laughs) Um, If I would do that, my dad would give me a quarter for the vending machine. And Uh in the vending machine was Coke. Now Coke was pretty much crack cocaine because my mom was like, you know, the original granola cruncher before that was cool. So uh, we fill this, that bucket and it was great. But my brothers were doing painting and I really wanted to do painting so I had to work my way up to doing painting well I hated painting because think about painting you're alone, yeah. the paintbrush like forget that at least when I was out I would talk to people I'd see people. So the next thing was. Um, I would answer the phones really early on. I learned how to answer the phone. And I loved that because you never knew who was calling and you get to talk to people and strangers. So that was good. And then the next step was pretty early on. Fortunately, I looked, you know, like I was one of those kids. It was not good at the time, but, um, you know, I grew really early. So Mm -hmm. in fourth grade, I looked like I was as big as the teacher, right. And all the, you know, cute little kids. And then there was me, but, um, the good part was that, I kind of got to do things that were kind of, you know, above my age range. So I started talking to people about leasing apartments and that was it. I mean, I can still I can still tell you the name, well, one of the names of the two people that I rented to, like that's like got in my head. I love <laughs> yeah. that. Cause you talk to people, you're showing them around. It was like, okay. So anyway, I did that all through, uh, like starting in, in, literally before middle school, all through high school into college. And that was always my side hustle, but that, but it was time to get a job. I, uh, in high school and into college, I went to work for a costume company where they did, um, birthday parties for, you know, like where you'd have big bird show up on your yeah. birthday party. Right. So that can, that took something else. Cause I really love dressing up. I love Halloween. I love all that stuff. Maybe I, you know, somewhere I'm, I'm a furry <laughs> um, <laughs> now, now they have names for it, but, <laughs> but you know, back in the day. So yeah. I went to work for this company and it was so fun because I was the center of attention. Right. And I'm dressed in this big giant costume and I'm talking, which, you know kind of if you think about it like a big bird talks but big bird's mouth doesn't move but anyway right. whatever and you know there were some real downsides to that job like the fact that uh you'd have to sometimes be the second shift on a costume and the costumes are really hot so just think about it, it like you know six inches of foam and sweaty but you you know you put that costume on and the kids are so focused on you and you're doing magic tricks and talking and hugging it was it was it was i was like oh, okay this is my blitz i love this yeah so then it came time to go to college and mm, I had to choose a major and communications talk, sounded like talking to me. So I'm like, check that box. And, and it was, it was great. Uh, in college, I supplemented my income uh, by doing a, a, kept doing all these um, costume character gigs. I love that, you know, the balloon bouquet showing up, whatever, all these things love that. And I also in college worked as a tour guide, a a campus tour guide. And that was so fun. You know, groups of people from all over the country, sometimes even all over the world would come and I'd show them the campus and I was game for that. Love that. I still know my whole, you know, I I took my kids there and I was like, okay, who wants the tour? And they're (laughs) like, no, you know, please no. (laughs) I had no takers, but anyway, I I spout off on my little tid. I still know them. Loved it. Uh, so then, you know, I got more into communications and I started working for the campus radio station. I love that, you know, like literally a hamster powered radio station. It literally, it would only go on campus. So, you know, my friends in the dorms could listen to me and that was it, um, went and got a, a, an internship as you had to for, you know, I think when you were a junior and I worked first at a talk, um, a talk show, TV talk show. I love that. Just, you know, intern job nothing exciting. And then I went to work for, um, a radio station and I worked the morning shift for morning drive. So I would go to, to work at four 30 in the morning for this, or actually maybe it's five it was four 30 or five really early in the morning. And, uh, very little pay, very little pay. Right. Yeah. And I would work hard and I absolutely loved it. I mean, the concept that people were getting paid to talk right. was beyond me. Right. Loved it. So I stayed there, uh, went and got my master's in communications, as mm-hmm. you can imagine, which kind of justified my, um, you know, low paying job existence. Cause sure. I was still a struggling student. Cause I, I, I knew that I couldn't, uh, you know, In radio, you have to like go to a small market, and I live in San Francisco Bay Area, so like I don't want (laughs) to move. And I also know, you know, there was great perks, but really, it's you know people at the top and people at the bottom, and there's kind of no middle. I knew I wanted to have kids someday, so it was like, oh, I don't know, this radio gigs for me. I stayed there a long time, all through uh, my masters. I worked morning drive in the morning, slept in my car in the afternoon and went to my classes at night and just did my thing. Loved it. I've always loved learning about, you know, connecting with people and what it takes and love that whole study thing. But then eventually I graduated and it was like, okay, time to get a real job that, you know, like (laughs) something beyond ramen. Right. Um, So I looked around, I guess, I don't even know if I was online at that stage, but I uh, looked around and I started to work for a company that did um, some a seminar company. And they would do these like big, massive authors that would come in, like the Deepak Chopra of Wayne Dyer's, the big, op- um, big authors who would come, Marianne Williamson, that would come to town and they would have these huge s- seminars, right? We'd have, you know, couple hundred people, couple thousand people, some of these things. And my job, I was executive director. So I was running the, the speaker side of things. And also um, just, you know, some, some booking stuff, Learned that. And that was interesting, but really, I mean, the part that got me pumped was the fact that I would get to go introduce these people on the stage. Right. right? So yeah. I was like, Oh, this is it. How can I get some more of this? So meanwhile, I had a little side hustle training people and leasing agents. And I was like, hmm, now I really like the speaker side of this. I really like training and helping other people connect. Maybe I should do that. So I, I did that for a while while I was still working. And then uh, that start kind of took off and I branched out beyond, um, the property management and real estate part and started working with all kinds of different companies. And uh, I have never looked back. It is absolutely my bliss. I had to curtail things and a bunch of kids in the meantime. And so yeah. I t- cut back a little bit, but this is still what I am juiced to do. And I love to talk about. I love to meet people and I love helping people find a little taste of my bliss. You know, I like to share You don't have to love it, but right. just take a taste, right? Yeah. <laughs>
0: Yeah. And how do, yeah. How do you, because there's so many people and I'm sure you've encountered this, like so many people will, once they find that out, they will say, I could, I couldn't do that. Or I, I freeze up or I, I don't know how you do that. And um, my last question uh, for the podcast is typically like, how do others find bliss? So we'll table that for a second, but I think it is, um, I think it is interesting. The, like the complete it feels like it's it is a complete spectrum, but almost like you were talking about with like the, the like the radio jobs. It's like it's either people love it that to say. Um I actually had a couple of follow-up questions from um from kind of your your beginnings and and also just kind of where things are at now. The first question is just a fun one for me is what was your favorite uh costume to dress up in? I, I'm curious. Ooh, I know you mentioned well, Big Bird, but I don't know yeah, if that was your favorite.
1: I have too. Uh, uh so Big Bird was great. And and these were really, these were, you know, kind of uh Disneyland quality. I guess Big Bird's not a Disneyland, but anyway, I think mean, these were professional quality. They were really well done. It wasn't a janky, like, oh my gosh, you know, that's supposed to be Big Bird. Uh, these were really beautiful costumes, super well done. So I loved Big Bird because it was so dramatic. The costume was so dramatic, and it was so well done and you know, thick and the feathers and all this stuff. You know, it was just ugh. and yeah. the, And it got had such, you know, it was giant. So your my face. So I'm 5'8". My face was in the neck, right? Uh, And with a screen. And I still remember like the screen would cut my nose, but I didn't even care. It was so fun. Uh, So so you can imagine it was super tall and it was dramatic and really a great costume. So I loved wearing that. Of course, I said the downside was definitely second shift. Like, oh, you'd be like literally it was sort of like having a face mask all over your body of someone else's sweat. So that was kind of like, ah, yeah. so, okay. So big bird was number one because of the journal. but the number two, and actually I don't even know if it's number two, it's number one, it two ones um, was snow white and snow white was, Oh, because of the way the children reacted to snow yeah. white, I think because it was more of a human Mm-hmm. but they were more human. You know, like Big Bird is like, ah, Snow White was, oh, and they'd come up and whisper to you and talk to you. And I I will never, ever, ever, as long as I live, forget, uh, one time I was Snow White and the little, the birthday girl was deaf. And I don't know a lot of sign language. I, at the time I had taken some ASL and I knew a little bit, but boy, you didn't need any, any sign language. That kid, oh, she was such a wonderful little girl and so excited to see Snow White. It just, So uh, my heart really loves the Snow White part of it for just for the, Mm -hmm. like the emotional connection with kids. It's pretty amazing.
0: That is amazing. And I- as someone who's you know, been to Disney and things like that, I can certainly, I, I can see that, right? Like, I know that like kids will, and the whispering thing, like that just takes me back to like, yeah, of course, like they're like coming up and like telling you things and and thanking you and telling you you're pretty and all of those things, like the, those things I know are happening because I, I've seen that happen with kids. And I think I probably did that. When I was a kid. Right? <laughs> uh, so that, yeah, that doesn't surprise me. But one of the other questions I had was, and I think beyond just the communication piece itself, which sounds like was something from the very beginning, like you said, you started talking, you never stopped. And I think that that's wonderful. Uh, that's, that's also how my son is. Um, and Actually, both, uh, both of my older sons are, are like that. Um, and I, but I wanted to know outside of just the communication itself, which I'm sure was, was certainly grown and fostered and all of those things. What did you, what did you learn uh, most from working at a radio station?
1: Ooh, um, well, I learned the the value of of short snippets, you know, sound bites. As much as we'd like to think that we're kind of above that and we want to be heady, if you really want to get attention, you have to just deliver it in short, easily yeah. digestible chunks.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. I I, I agree. I think that we, uh, as storytellers, right, like it's this. It's about the journey, and sometimes that's that's not always the way that people digest things (laughs) right (laughs) yeah that's a good point so you mentioned just kind of where it's taken you but uh do you have thoughts on uh, additional ways that you want to continue to foster you know your love of this and your love of speaking in front of people and all of that I mean are are there are there future plans for uh, a a lecture series or uh, (laughs) you know things like that I'm curious where where it goes next
1: Well, it's, it's going a lot of directions. Uh, so I started my podcast, um, communications are, which I really enjoy kind of takes me back to my radio days. I love the, the spoken medium. I love the intimacy of you listening. Like I love to listen to a podcast in my ear. I, I, you know, just being there doing something else, but being a million miles away with the podcast. Uh, so I, I really find that to be a lot of fun. Plus we're, you know, yeah, no, by no, uh, it's not a coincidence that it's communications are, because what do I do? I talk to people about communications all the time, right? So this is fun. Um, so i I'm doing that. Um, I'm also developing two different things, and that is I wrote a book about uh, connecting with people and showing and selling property, both two different versions, one for real estate agents and one for uh, leasing agents, which I'm releasing in the fall. So that's exciting. And um, I also have a video course that I'm doing with that and an online course and I'm developing, and this is, this is because I'm trying to pull so much. I'm developing an online communications course, uh, but that's going to be a long, that's a long project because I literally am going through decades of material, Yeah, Uh, you know, it's, it's hard to get it to say, I, you know, I don't want to just throw something up. I just want to have like a body of work that I can, uh, just help people with different aspects of it. Uh, and then of course I'm, I continue to work with groups that I find challenging. So, you know, for me, um, I, I love to, sit down and work with a bunch of business people, right? I love salespeople. I just sort of get that. But uh, the ones that I find more challenging (laughs) are a lot of the ones I have at home, which is teenagers. So uh, I'm working with a group of a school, an inner city school, uh, teenagers, and that has been challenging, especially teaching communications and public speaking via Zoom, because they're masters of either turning the camera off, oh, my battery's gonna die, right? (laughs) Or I have seen so many ceilings. uh, I have seen the ceiling of every possible home you can imagine (laughs) that these kids because they conveniently shove the camera or the laptop or whatever it is, so it's facing the ceiling and not themselves. So that's a challenge. They're really challenging. So they're, they're, there's there's two things going on there. They're reluctant, which is very common. There's are so sure. com- many People reluctant to you know speak, but they're also teenagers, and then there are all all the you know the peer pressure stuff and the peer norms that you have to deal with. So it's like oh, this is this is a challenging group for me. So um, that you know I, I continue to do that and and just work with people who um, need 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 to embrace this more. And I enjoy that. And, um, I'm also in, in, since lockdown, I've started taking online community college courses to sort of broaden my spectrum. So I took a a classic persuasion course, which I thought was fascinating, a multicultural communications course, which I also learned so much from. Uh, So I'm just trying to, you know, continue to sharpen. I'm immensely curious. Uh, My hard part is, you know, I, again, I want to be the teacher and, you know, we go into these breakout groups and I'm like, okay, just hold yourself back, like be a participant, like don't take charge. Uh, So, you know, it's learning process and I, I'm loving it. I continue to, to enjoy it. And sometimes I don't love it when there's a lot of work due, <laughs> sure. but that like helps me relate to my teenagers who have yeah. all these deadlines to work with. So uh, yeah, I enjoy it.
0: <laughs> so there are, there are benefits there too. Yeah, absolutely. Sure, exactly. Um, on that, that, that actually brought up a, a question that I had and it's related to, you mentioned in your classes currently, like you, still to try to maybe take on that leadership role or just kind of naturally fall into that, especially like in breakout groups, but also like uh, eventually your professors are going to ask you, do you want to come teach the class? And you're <laughs> going to say yes, of course. Um, but I'm curious, have you in either now or throughout your time in your bachelor's and master's programs, did you find that folks that were in the communications programs, did you find that they had a similar philosophy style as you? Were they also go-getters who wanted to just constantly communicate? Because I imagine that you maybe had some of those, but I also imagine you may have had quite a few that that were not like that.
1: Yeah, you're absolutely right. Uh, So there were kind of three different camps and that was the people that were kind of like me and and they couldn't get enough of it, you know, like drink from the fire hose, like bring it on. Uh, Then there were the people who were there because they hated it, you know, and they wanted to understand it. And then there was a third group who were theoretical hmm. and they were going to use it in different ways. And probably they made the most money <laughs> sure. uh, because, you know, they were thinking of like, how am I going to apply this? You know? Um, so yeah, it was, it was three different groups of people that, but definitely not everybody who loved it. And, you know, I was kind of, not always the, the, uh, the, the majority by any means.
0: Sure. Yeah. I imagine that like you said, I, I think the, the explanation of the three camps is really helpful uh, to kind of paint that picture. Um, and I do imagine that they're like that that first camp, that one that you fall into, still has a ton of people who really like you know, are go getters, and that's their their style of communication, and and that's uh, that's great. Um, the the art of can you hear me?
1: Yep. The okay. art.
0: The art of communication uh, is. One of the older, I don't know the, the, the older ways, right? Uh, meaning like this this public speaking started in probably ancient Greece, at least for from recorded history, right? Uh, I, I'm wondering if uh, just not not going back that far necessarily, but I, I'm you have been in communications and and different fields for a very long time, and you mentioned a little bit of this when you're talking about Zoom and teaching, but what are what are the, the strides you've seen in, in not just technology, but the differences that you've seen in, in speaking and communication uh, in your time that you've had interest in it?
1: Ooh, uh, that's an interesting question because it blows my mind how much it hasn't changed. It is, you know, people are still struggling with the same thing. So they're saying, you right. know, oh, what if I blank out? What about my ahs and ums, my filler words? What about when people ask me the questions? So even though we we've we think we've advanced so much, it's the exact same thing. So I think yeah. that we're the same problems that we're having in ancient Greece, <laughs> uh, we're we're having today, and sometimes in a, a slightly different uh, format. Now, interestingly enough, Zoom creates sort of uh, both a more challenges and less challenges, depending mm-hmm. on where you fall, right? Because those of us who love to be in front of a group, we're not getting the same energy, we're not getting the same yeah. feedback. But those people who have great ideas, who are intimidated by the group, are speaking up more. So I feel in a lot of ways we're benefiting because we're getting voices that we previously weren't heard. And that to me is super exciting. I mean, think of all the possibilities. And and hopefully, you know, we're going back to a hybrid uh, workplace. I'm, I'm, I'm willing to guess and to bet that those people who were hesitant to speak up before who've had some practice over zoom are much more likely to speak up in a public meeting. Now a group meeting, because they, they, you know, it's, it's like anything else. It's like, I, I don't want to say it's riding a bike. Cause you either ride a bike or you don't, but it's like things that you practice. It gets better. It gets more enjoyable. You start to taste the juice and you like it.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I, yeah, I think that there will be probably some, uh, I, I keep referring to the timelines as kind of pre-pandemic, pandemic, post-pandemic, right? There, okay. And I think the way that we communicate is is going to be also a hybrid. I think that there might, how that might play out in terms of people just relearning the norms of communication and, and how that looks in meetings, how that looks in presentations. Uh, do you have a sense on, I guess, how people are going to, integrate kind of hybrid forms of communication within their workspaces?
1: Well, I think one of the challenges is going to be that because we will be hybrid, there will be in within a team per se, uh, some people who are in person and some who are online Attending the same meeting, and the hard part will be to realize those are two very different media, right? Yeah. You know, having somebody on Zoom and having people in front of you, you have to now be a hybrid presenter, right? And that's yeah. even harder. So, it's like adding adding another layer of challenge. Uh, so, what you're going, I think, you're going to try to do is engagement because. The more you get people interacting, uh, you know, via the chat, via comments, via questions, the more people are inclined to lean in and, and focus, and that will capture their attention. If you go to the old way of, okay, you know, we're here, we're going to have our meeting, and I'm going to go around and I'm going to talk about X, Y, and Z, and I'm talking to the group, and there are some people who are are um, zooming in they're going to catch on pretty quick that they're not on the front row and they're way in the back of the house. Right. Yeah. And you know, it, it's no fun to be in the cheap seats. So you have to play uh, and present according to to the, where they are and have everybody be in the front row. And that's yeah. that's So that's a new challenge and it's something else to think about, uh, but it, it's, it's you know, like anything else, we'll get good at it and we'll figure it out. And uh, I, I think you know, the exciting thing is that there will be more energy from the people in front of you because we're so hungry to be in front, you know, like the people in front are hungry to be, the people listening, you know, I think we're all starving for that human connection. Uh, and even in the workplace, you know, I mean, we love our families, but we love our work families too. And, and, you know, that's, that's, uh, I, it'll, it'll be good to get back. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I mentioned this previously on, on other episodes, but you know, I've been working from home since the, since March of 2020. And, uh, we are going back finally, we were told we we're going back July 6th. So we are, uh, and, but we will be hybrid. So, uh, sometimes working from home, sometimes in person. And, uh, actually this week I'm setting up the webcam in our, uh, team meeting room uh, to accommodate the the folks that may not be there uh, for meetings and, and things like that. So I'm really, I'm interested and excited and in seeing where that goes, but it will be a new adventure for sure. And I think what you're saying also reminds me in speaking and, and specifically in performance, this idea of playing to the back of the room, right? And this, when you're, when you're on stage, you need the back of the room to experience the emotion that also the front of the room is getting. And I I guess I, I'm really just curious how you, uh, if you feel if you have, how you feel you've, you've kind of perfected that with with speaking to to large groups.
1: Well, a couple of things. First of all, uh, vocal variety, which, you know, so being expressive always lends energy, right? But also as far volume variety. So it's okay, even though you have a lot of people assuming you have, you know, decent sound, you did your, you showed up early, you did your sound check, right? Um, It's okay to whisper, to make a point and to speak in a low voice. And that gets people in the back just as engaged as the ones in the front. Because, like, ooh. Yeah, they'll do lean one of
0: these, in. right? Well, yeah, <laughs> exactly.
1: Yeah. Right. Um, but the other thing is, to movement. Uh, you know, I am not for standing behind a podium. And I, I try to tell people just break away from that. You know, it's okay in the, the beginning, or if you want to do it at the beginning and the end, if it's a very formal situation, but move and don't move just side to side. If you think about a ballerina, if you can't get off the stage, if you can get off the stage and go into the audience, even better. Because you have the halo effect of everywhere you go, that will draw people in, in that area. So if you feel like you're losing, you know, the back of the room, go to the back of the room because they will wake up. (laughs) It'll grab them in automatically. But the other thing to think about is if you're on a stage and you have to move or, you know, you want to move, but you can't go into the audience. You want to think about how a ballerina moves. Now, ballerinas, if they're dancing a ballet, the movement is not this way and this way. It's on the diagonal, right? Because there's energy there. And it's way more exciting to see something coming from the side than just, you know, people, and and we've all seen this, right? Somebody who traipses across the side side to side and it's sort of like they're a caged lion right and pretty soon we're like ah get him out of the cage right (laughs) like ah there's a lot of energy there but it's kind of driving us crazy to watch but if they move strategically on the diagonal and then once they get there stay there for a while and make a point and have you know a few minutes or however long their their presentation a little bit of it and then move somewhere else and you're going to be grabbing your whole audience in
0: that's that's Excellent advice. I, I really love that. And I would have never made that connection between ballet, but, but as someone who has worked with dance companies, I, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And, and yeah, I, I just trying to put that together in my mind of like that really, that really speaks to me. And I, I think that that's really, really valuable. I'm wondering if, uh well, for have you ever, I, I'm now envisioning like these, all these other types of stages and things like that. How do you feel about like those, those circle stages where kind of the, the audience kind of envelops you? I mean, that, I guess that is kind of more of that halo effect that you're talking about, but are there, are there other types of staging that feel like they are more beneficial to engaging your full audience?
1: Well, I love, you know, in the ideal world it would be at not only the. Uh, like three quarters of it, of the, not the back, because, you know, it's too hard to, to, you know, have your, you don't want your back Absolutely. to anybody, but also, you know, amphitheater type things. So they're uh, actually above you. If you, I mean, I'm talking a large audience. um right. Because, This way people can, it's okay for them to be looking down on you, but it gets them engaged. They're paying more attention. Sightlines are really important. So when you think about, you know, where are you standing? Is there a glare? They're not going to like, no matter how compelling you are, if there's a a bright light behind you glaring, you know, maybe there's a window they're just not going to people, if it's uncomfortable, they're not going to do it for very long. Right. Right. So you could be saying the most amazing thing, but uh, so my thing is let them be able to see you and, but get as close as you can, because one of the things, and it's counterintuitive people think, Oh, I, you know, I'm going to stand behind a podium and I'm going to stay far away from my audience and I'm going to be okay. I'm gonna be safe behind that. But the exact opposite is true. If you get up close, you'll feel more confident. You'll feel more comfortable and they'll be more compelled to listen to you.
0: Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. Like this, uh, I th- you you said it, but our default is to kind of take it in, so to speak, versus really engaging with it. And yeah, that that absolutely makes a huge difference. It reminds me, and what you were saying also around how to engage the back of the room and using kind of the full room reminds me of when I uh, I also used to do campus tours, but I also used to uh, be. Uh, I used to give the presentations for living on campus to okay. incoming students during their uh, during their orientation. And one of the things that I used to do to engage the audience from the beginning was they don't know who's presenting. They they have no idea that it's going to be me that comes out. So I would come out and I the, the everyone would always ask me, do you want me to introduce you? And I said no. Let me introduce myself. And what I would do is I would act like I was not the presenter, and I would do this full like ridiculous over the top introduction, and point to the back of the room, and everyone would be looking at the back of the room, and eventually we had a spotlight on the back of the room, and I'd wait a couple seconds, and I'd say, well, thank you so much for that ovation, and then I would just <laughs> jump into it, and. Right away, they're engaged right away that it's like, this is something that has completely, you know, turned us on, uh, turned us on our head, uh, because we were expecting that. And I think that also speaks to like, just getting that full audience involved.
1: And I'm going to bet, Thomas, that there are people that still remember that. I, Not that I, it was I, that long ago, right? Yeah.
0: <laughs> Unfortunately, it's much longer than I care to admit. But yeah, uh, we, well, yeah. we don't talk
1: about that. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> but no, I mean the, the thing is because it was different, right. and it was at the beginning when they're thinking, "Am I gonna listen to this guy? Like, is this gonna be worth it, or can I just like play on my phone?" Right. So automatically, you got them, and it was like, "Oh, this is gonna be something different." Right. I'm going. You know, they're they're doing their campus tours. They've seen the road. Everything's the same, and all of a sudden, you do that, and like, okay. Now you have their attention.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I remember when I was first, when I very first did that presentation, my, my bosses did not like it. They were like, This <laughs> you have to get the information out. Like I had a bunch of other jokes and things like that. You have to be very, and I was like, "You," but if you want them to retain it, if you want them to retain the information, then we have to, we have to be able to engage them. So I think that that's important. Um, on the note of retention and and just, I, I've had a lot of conversations recently on the podcast of people who've learned from mistakes or learned from, from failing. And we have talked a lot about that at length. And I'm curious if there were times where it, it didn't work out for whatever reason, uh, whether it was, you know, at one of your jobs or at a speaking engagement and how that went and kind of what you learned from it.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, you always remember the bad ones, right?
0: Unfortunately. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah. So how much time do you have? <laughs> no, uh, but the one that, that pops into my mind, um, I did a presentation and I, I, don't exactly remember the name of the group, but it was a market, a business marketing group. And this was before I had children, before I was even married. And um, they, there was, they had, it was kind of a deal where they had, they didn't have a lot of budget to pay, uh, but they had a free airfare. And I think it was four or five nights at, in in Hawaii to Hawaii. Right. So like who wouldn't take that gig. Right. (laughs) And it was at the Mandarin, which is this like amazing hotel. I I, I should Google it. See if it's still around Um, some like the Beatles or somebody stayed there. It was this like really understated old world, beautiful hotel away from everything. I was in heaven. Right. It was so great. And I was by, I was by myself, but you know, at that point I was doing a ton of travel and the, I, you know, it was like, you're, I, I've been to all those same hotel, you know, the ones like you could figure you could do them in your sleep. Like they're all the same. Here I am in Hawaii, this amazing property on the beach, loving it, loving, loving it. So it was, was, I think it was four nights. So on the last day I was giving this presentation. Well, I woke up with the cold. And I could just feel it. Like I felt lousy and I thought, oh my gosh, you know, I need to make sure that I'm on it. So I did something I don't normally do. And that is, I went down to the gift shop and I bought some cold medicine and I, I don't normally do that. <laughs> and now I know why. Well, for whatever reason, I, you know, felt like I was kind of going through the motion, like I had cotton in my head, you know, it was just like, okay. And I remember doing my hair and I was like, okay, you know. I had no juice to share I got up there I was just off from the beginning my opening was off. like I could feel it yeah. and I you know I did some of the things I know to do but I also just wasn't connecting with the audience and I I, I just remember like oh maybe I should try this I, I I never could get my footing and I literally I was just out of it. I literally finished that uh, th- that speech and I like darted out the door. Usually like I love, I love an audience, right? And I love people individually. So the fun part is like the dream day, right? You give a speech and then you get to talk to people individually, right. it's so fun, right? Yeah. I, I went out the door. I was gone, and I can uh, so remember. I flew home. I was upset the entire flight home. I got to the airport. I'm at my home airport now, which I also know the back of my hand. I'm getting on the escalator, and my bag. I guess I was going. I was going up the escalator. Uh, My bag, like somehow was you know the stairs were this way. My bag tumbled down to the bottom of it, and I just sat there. I was like uh, I, I was so defeated. It was terrible. I felt so bad. And then even to the point where, you know, they sent me the little, um, thank you note afterwards. And I thought, Oh, that's like an automatic send. Like <laughs> they didn't really mean it. And I have it in my head and I'm carrying it around and I can like, you know, play back every little detail because yeah. it was the one really, I mean, not the one, like there's more than one, but it was really just eh, flop. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, it sounds like it was maybe one of the first, like, real big flaws too. Like, And so I think you always remember kind of that, those initial ones that you're just like, wow, that was really... And like you said, also not in your right headspace and a lot of different things kind of at play there. Um, oh, who and, knows? and what a bummer to be sick also in paradise, too. <laughs>
1: like, uh, yeah. Well, the first three days, I was great, right? This right? yeah. is <laughs> the last day. And, of course, it's, like, the most important. And then, like, hindsight, you know, if I were to do it again, if they would call today and say, hey, come back after all these years, I would book the, you know, the stay we're,
0: after. We're it day one. <laughs> yeah.
1: Exactly. Do it day one, you know, yeah. and you, <laughs> and I will never take cold medicine before any reason. I, I don't care. I'll just suffer and sniffle or <laughs> do whatever. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> never I think that's again. really
0: a good idea. And uh, yeah, I'll, I'll make sure that I, I write that one
1: down <laughs> Yeah. Take that.
0: <laughs> uh, I, I'm wondering, because you a lot of what you're also talking about, it sounds like is um, I, I don't even know if this is the right term for it, but it, it's almost like a muscle memory. Like there were things that you were still doing. There were things that I'm sure you still got to certain points. I'm sure there were still, I'm sure you were still doing some of the, some of the movement pieces and things like that. I, I'm wondering if you, you, and maybe this just speaks to like that kind of practice makes perfect type of thing. Uh, but it, how, how much does that kind of repetitiveness that, that muscle memory play into success when you're speaking?
1: Oh, significant. It, it, it's a lot. Um, and then, but the good, so that's the reality. The, however, the good news is you can get there a lot faster than you don't need, you know, two decades of speaking experience. Sure. And, but the, what you do need, and this is something I'm always hammering home. You need to practice in as close to the environment, like simulate yes. the environment you're going to be in. Yeah. And if nothing else, practice out loud because so many people say, oh yeah, yeah, I practice, I practice, I memorize the whole thing. Did you speak it? You need to speak it because the spoken voice and the reading voice and the spoken voice and the silent reading voice are obviously very different. So you can get there. And even if it's, you know, the first and only, but if you have to practice, you have to put the time into it. Uh, So you feel like once you get there, like, okay. And even to the point where if you tend to be apprehensive and I, I, I may have done this that day I, I say I probably did, but it's <laughs> all, uh, you know, I like to meet the people one-on-one before I get up in front of them, sure. right? Because you, you have that connection, right? And you, somewhere in your head, you're like, okay, these are people. They're not this amorphous blob of a crowd, but they're individuals. And you can, you know, find that friendly face and, and talk to that friendly face in the audience if you need some reassurance and, and it will help you feel better. But it's just, you know, just practice, 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 practice.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, what you're saying also around mimicking as close as you can to the environment that you're going to speak in, whether that's practicing on that stage or practicing with you know other people around. Uh, however, you can do that. I remember one of the same presentations that I was talking about earlier. One time, I I mentioned something. I think it was about Chicago, and there was someone from Chicago there, and he like like woo really loudly, like just like and it, like it threw <laughs> me, and I just was not prepared for it. Like, and I just remember in that moment being like, oh, this really like threw my whole game off and it shouldn't have, like, I should have been prepared for like, whatever. I try to be prepared for like crowd interaction and stuff, but it is one of those things where it's like, oh, I I have to remember that like, as much as I practice it, it, like, there are always going to be variables that will find their way in. And so I need to, you know, kind of focus on that. And I think that's, that's kind of what you're speaking to is just knowing that there are variables and planning for as many as you possibly can, can. Yeah, exactly. Um, I'm curious as to, you know, we, like I said, every kind of towards the end of this week, I like to ask what, how others can find bliss? How, how can others find bliss through, through communication, through, through speaking, through just kind of putting themselves out there because I think that's that's for people who are a little more extroverted that's certainly much easier we get our energy from that um, and I'm more of an ambivert so sometimes I get energy and sometimes I don't uh, but it's it's still very natural for me so for those folks that maybe are wanting to try to handle something else or trying to find bliss in a different way what advice would you have for them
1: well, I'd say, first of all, give yourself permission to be who you are. There's not one right way to be in the world. And just because I'm this way, there's some benefits to it and there's some drawbacks to it, right? Uh, so I think what people do is they get hung up on like, oh, I'm not like that. Like that doesn't, well, good for you, but it doesn't work for me. Or, you know, so, or, oh, I, in order to be successful and whatever their definition of that, uh, I have to be this way. But the interesting thing is that when you are your authentic self and you're just being you, but it may be in front of more people than normal, people taste that. That's, that is very appealing to people, but you don't have to pretend you're somebody, you know, practice your movements and do all this, pretend to be one way. You can be your, yourself, you can be your introverted, quieter self, but strong and putting it out there is just as appealing. And it, it and people kind of have natural BS detectors. When you're acting one way, but you really are another way, uh, they'll pick up on that. So you know, give yourself permission to be yourself, not not trying to be a, you know an imitation of something else that you think is success. And you will taste it. You know, you'll get a little taste of that bliss when you're connecting with people. It, it's pretty intoxicating.
0: Yeah, and that authenticity is so important to anything that we're doing. But it's absolutely important, even even in unfamiliar settings and in in a setting that maybe you wouldn't seek out yourself, but that you have to, or that you are interested in trying to learn more about that, that authenticity piece is the only way that it's, it's going to work for you. Because if you're not authentic, then it's, it's, it's not going to be real, which obviously that's what authentic means, but it's, it's not going to be a real experience. It's going to be somebody else's experience in your body, if that makes sense.
1: Yeah, actually. And then you're having sort of an out-of-body experience, right? And you're, you know, uh, so you want to be in your body. You want to be owning yourself, who you are and, and just putting that as sharing that with the world, then you might not necessarily jump at that idea, but once you can get yourself to do it, uh, people will respond to that and gravitate towards that.
0: Absolutely. And one of my last questions is really just how has your support system, uh, How how has that impacted kind of your ability to be able to do these things and be able to to find, uh, to not just find your bliss, but kind of find your path in life?
1: I love that question. That's a great question. Uh, My support system has allowed me to be me. And I'm not, you know, I, I'm not perfect and I can be, you know, I gonna be a lot coming through the door, <laughs> but, but they're okay. They're, they're okay with that, you know? Uh, and, and I, I feel like I can be me, uh, you know, in front of my people and I, that lets me be me, me in front of more people. And, uh, and I really appreciate that. You know, I, I haven't had to, uh, try to conform to, other people's expectations, um, or maybe I was supposed to, but I didn't bother, but they were okay with that. Uh, and I, and I appreciate, really appreciate that. And I, I'm trying to share that with not only my children, but everybody I come in contact with, like, you know, just be you and, and, and that's okay. Cause there's only one you and let's, let's embrace that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, well, thank you so much. This was an absolute treat for me, an absolute delight. Um, is there anything that you would like to promote?
1: Oh, well, my my podcast, I guess, um, by all means, um, communications are, and it's, we're going into my second season here. So I'm refining and retooling and focusing more on the reluctant, this is sort of what speaks to what you're saying, uh, talking about public speaking and communications for people who are, who know they need to do it, but that's not their first excited, you know, that doesn't uh, light them up. So I'm trying to share that with uh, that, those, that group of people and, and uh, see what happens with it. So by all means, um, that's always a fun thing. Check it out.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And we'll definitely plug uh, communications are in the show notes as well, but definitely check that out. Roseanne, again, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for coming on What's Your Bliss today.
1: Thank you. My pleasure. Happy to be there. Thank you.
0: You can find What's Your Bliss at anythingbutcredible.com and on all major podcast platforms, including Apple, Spotify, Google, and Stitcher. Please follow on Twitter and Instagram at Your Pod and like What's Your Bliss on Facebook. If you have any questions for me or if you'd like to be a guest or advertise on the podcast, please email me at yourblisspodcast at gmail.com. Please check out anythingbutcredible.com to find all the additional awesome content and podcasts, including Offended, Movie Merge, Going Off Topic, and of course, the Anything But Credible podcast.